On today's podcast, your hosts TC and Chris Nicole discuss utilizing different training intensities and the purpose of Technique Week. And we are back once again. Thank you so much once again to our listeners who have uh, sent in lots of questions, also positive comments. It really means the world to us. I feel like we always need to start off just thanking the people (laughs) that are listening to the podcast. Uh, And I'm really excited about today's topic um, because we got a lot of questions specifically about training. And training intensity is something that I feel like I have been learning by working with you, TC. So uh, we'll have plenty of anecdotal stuff to share, lots of good questions from athletes, and yeah, we'll just get ready to dive in. Is there anything that you wanted to mention to the listeners before I start firing questions? No, I, I don't think so. Um, I think that you phrased it properly. Um, a lot of my training methods and modalities are definitely uh, anecdotally evidence-based, mm-hmm. Um and, you know, over the course of our relationship together, we have found plenty of scientific evidence, you know, supporting mm-hmm. my suppositions. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a good kind of precursor. to. Yeah. I think sometimes you have professionals that they learn the material or they learn theories and then they directly, you know, that affects their um strategies and how they like work with professionals it's like a learn first and then implement and then you have other professionals that just approach uh whatever topic it is that they're interested in with more of a curious mind and they collect information they start analysis um and implement those things it's like almost like an science experiment i feel Mm -hmm. like there's exactly what it is yeah yeah. and like is this working isn't isn't it working and then later on sometimes you find like oh okay this you know this theory is proven not just from my personal experience but there's like a scientific uh, study that backs it up so it's, it's just very interesting the fitness industry is continually evolving and professionals lean on different things for creating their processes and uh, I feel like you have a very unique uh, style of f- figuring out what works and what doesn't. And it's been interesting to come in contact with a couple other professionals that use a similar strategy. Like the Glute Lab book. Yeah. it's <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I read that Glute Lab book and I'm like, TC, did you write this? <laughs> um, which is a book written by Brett Contreras. But there's a lot of similar... Um, yeah, I think we have a lot of like similar focal points, um, similar uh, priorities in training. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes very annoying when <laughs> I ask DC a question, he gives me an answer, and then like a week later, I'm reading it in that book. I'm like, okay, uh, but it's it's um, like I said, I think it's just a unique way of understanding the fitness industry. Well, it's also like, it's kind of validating for, for me too, because like I said, I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm in a laboratory doing science experiments, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I have me and I have our clients and Mm -hmm. the clients that I've worked with in the past. And, um, like you said, you approach something with a curious mindset and you say, you know, does this work? Does this not work? But then also 
how is this supposed to work? Mm-hmm. You know, like recently I've uh, started instituting those like rehab style unilateral glute bridges. And oh, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, they suck when you first start doing them. Oh, my but then gosh. Once you finally feel it and you're like, wow, that mm-hmm. is what a hip lift is supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. It's very different than uh, a regular style. Yeah. So like hip bridge. Um, so which kind of brings us right into our topic, um, mm-hmm. because when you're doing that, you're not going to load up a bunch of weight. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be body weight and you know, that's, that's any rehab style. Rehab style is going to be as little effort as possible. Sure. Um, yeah. which in any training regimen, there's going to be a place for that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be a place for maximum intensity and there's going to be a place for maximum mental intentionality. And I feel like sometimes those are going to be on opposite ends of the spectrum. So sometimes they're going to be in the same exact spot. You sure. know, you're doing a max rep squat. You want your technique ingrained already, but your setup has to be perfect. You have mm-hmm. to be very intentional with your setup and then your bracing pattern. Right. Um, and then when you're actually performing, executing the lift, you're not necessarily thinking, you know, it's not really mental intentionality at that point. It's just that is intensity. Sure. So I guess the first thing we can talk about is, the definition of intensity. Yes. Um, different, kind of like you said earlier, different professionals um, utilize different methods and modalities. And they also, I believe, ascribe different uh, definitions to the word training intensity. I would agree. So if you're a power lifter, intensity means weight on the bar. A higher intensity day is going to be a day where you have more weight on the bar a higher percentage of your one rep max and uh, less volume. Mm, Um, Whereas a higher volume day is going to be the exact opposite, right? We're going to choose like, you know, maybe 70% of your one rep max. You're going to really push, you know, like the eight to 12 rep range. Uh, Again, for power lifters, that is volume. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's cardio, actually. I think six is volume. 12 is cardio. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so um, now when you're a bodybuilder, I feel like the word intensity rarely gets used for weight on the bar. Sure. I Um, would agree. Yeah. If you're a bodybuilder, intensity is just, I'm going into the gym. I'm on a mission training for battle (laughs) and, um, you're, you're, you're just working right. Similar to like CrossFit intensity, you know, like if you're a CrossFitter and you're talking about intensity, Higher intensity is going to be your workout. Lower intensity is going to be your warm up and your cool down. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much going to be the only differentiation there. Sure. You know, it's going yes. to be I'm working harder in my workout than I am for my warm ups and cool downs. Sure. Um, so that's, you know, that is one difference, you know, across sports where the word intensity might get misconstrued, especially if you do both powerlifting and bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, the word intensity might get like kind of misused every once in a while, which, I mean, if you understand what your coach is telling you, for for your you know desired intensity for that day that's all that matters sure um so the next thing we want to talk about was how to measure correct intensity yeah right um so obviously like we talked about if you're a power lifter that's gonna be relatively easy it's gonna be a percentage of your one rep max which will slightly vary on a day-to-day basis you know based on um how much other stress you're going through in your life um and how much your body can handle on that day. Because we have um, the amount of work that your body can physically handle, and then the amount of work that your central nervous system can handle. 
And those are often two different things. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes your body feels ready, but just, man, nothing is working. I'm just, I'm so ready to get a good workout, but I just can't get that neuromuscular pathway, you know, working properly. And then there are other days where you, you just go in there and kill it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's great. You got a great day. So I think being patient with yourself and understanding the ebbs and flows of training and, um, understanding that you can utilize different intensity levels, uh, especially as, as well, as any kind of athlete, I would say you can utilize different intensity levels to kind of match your current physical and emotional and mental state Sure. to maximize your progress and efficiency in your training. Which is being uh, intuitive mm-hmm. as an athlete of understanding mm-hmm. what your capabilities are. And would you say that's a learned skill? Oh, definitely. hundred percent. Yeah. That, that goes into like the auto-regulation of uh, more intermediate and advanced level athlete. Um, like often I'll tell you, look, you're, you're not in a great space mentally. I need you to hit the exercises that you know will work for you today. That's it. That's all I want you to do. I don't mm-hmm. want you to look at that program. I don't want you to look at your phone. I just want you to go through. I don't even want you to count your reps. I just want you to go through yeah. and do some work. That's it. Um, so, and, it, and it's really important to understand that doing that is far better than struggling through a workout and getting so distraught and stressed out that nothing is working for you and then yes. eventually leaving without, virtually without doing anything, you right. know, um, shift gears, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yes, that is exceptionally difficult some days where all you want to do, I just want to come in and work my glutes. I just want to go get an upper body pump. I just want to do some bench. I just want to squat. I just want to deadlift sometimes your body doesn't care what you want to do, you (laughs) know, and you have to find a way to just continue marching down that road towards your goal as an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's back up a little bit. We talked about intensity being kind of different effort levels for, for bodybuilding and, and, you know, certain other sports. Um, how can that benefit your training? Um, and how can you take this idea and kind of use it in your own training? If you're just starting out, you probably have not accumulated a ton of stress in your body physically. And I think that pushing at a higher intensity level to learn what maximum exertion feels like is probably going to be the most important aspect of your training. Uh, maximum intensity is a learned trait. It's a learned skill. You, you're not just going to walk into the gym and be able to push literally as hard as you're physically capable of pushing mm-hmm. your brain is a throttle it's mm-hmm. gonna it's it's a governor right it, it throttles you down to make sure that you don't hurt yourself right um so we have to progressively increase the intensity level of your training to where you can really push literally as hard as you can and that is where you're really going to make the progress um you know if you think back to dorian yates and his training strategies and what he used to talk about he would talk about his shorter training sessions where everyone else, like Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about being in the gym for five hours. Yes. Dorian Yates is like, man, 45 minutes to, you know, an hour and a half. Like, man, I can get a good workout in. But that's because he goes, like he believed in that one rep to complete failure. I mean, one set to complete failure mm-hmm. of maximum intensity. So we can kind of blend all of these different ideas into one cohesive unit that's going to work on a per athlete basis, right? Like not everyone is going to be able to push maximum intensity for one set. That's silly, right? Dorian Yates was, I mean, one of the, I mean, he was the best in the world for numerous Mm -hmm. years. So 
he had the foundation to be able to do that. Right. So what we have to do is try to learn how to push maximally while also making sure that our body is in the most advantageous position because that's the other aspect. If we're just arbitrarily pushing as hard as we can, but your body is not in the most advantageous position to either isolate a muscle group or build the muscle groups that you want to build, um, or if it's just in a different place from set to set, you're having to relearn that motor pathway every single time you do that exercise. So what is something that needs to be foundational before someone can start looking to push maximum intensity or find that threshold? That's a really good question. Um, I would say that's your bracing capacity. So your core, yeah, your ability to establish torso rigidity Mm -hmm. in a neutral spinal position. um, That is the first step. The second step is establishing spinal rigidity while being able to move your extremities around a braced torso. Um, And that's for any exercise, not just a compound lift. Correct. Um, There are, other than like sit-ups, there's, uh, man, maybe I'm wrong, Jefferson curls. But like if you think about exercises, very rarely do you hear you want to actively flex your spine while you're performing this <laughs> yeah. exercise, right? Yes. Like, yes. It's, it's brace your core for Correct. every single one. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we brace our core through our posterior chain. Like we use our lumbar erectors. I would agree. Core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just think about your lat pull downs. How many people stick their butt out and arch their low back when they're doing their lat pull downs? Whereas mm-hmm. if you pull those hips under you and try to get more upright, not only are you going to work your transverse abdominis and the rescular core and the rest of your core musculature a little more, but you're going to put your lats in a little more of a lengthened position and it's going to keep your back super straight so that when you're pulling and you're building that the strength and the hypertrophy pattern, it's in the correct position that you want to actually be in for stuff like squats and deadlifts and RDLs and hip thrusts and, you know, all the other compound lifts that are going to, you know, take you where you want to go. Um, so yeah, like learning the proper positioning and the proper relationship of your lumbo-pelvic hip complex, which is just your low back and your hips uh, down into your femurs, you know, the, the socket in there, mm-hmm. um, that complex health and the positioning of your rib cage in relation to your, to your pelvis as well to make sure that your spine is in a neutral position and your abdominal muscles are in the most advantageous position to be used and to stabilize. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and as someone that like develops that, uh, intentionality, they know how to cue those, those muscles, they can gradually increase in, you know, whatever intensity. Intensity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How would you, like, how do you measure intensity or what's, what are some formulas or, or scales well, that people use? Uh, first, bef- before we move on, I, j- I just want to go back a little bit and sure. say when you first start trying to incorporate a new form, it will always feel weaker than the form that you were using. That is true. It yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It just means that that neuromuscular pathway has been abandoned for, you know, the recent history. Mm-hmm. So we need to reestablish that neuromuscular pathway. And often it's like a squat where someone gets taught how to squat and they say, well, just act like you're sitting down in a chair. And all of a sudden they have this enormous anterior pelvic tilt and a, a you know, lumbar extension. Stick your butt out. Yeah. You know, and, and then, then the other cue that that same coach gives them is keep your chest up. 
And it's like, dude, you can't do that. You can't stick your butt out and keep your chest up and expect to keep a good abdominal brace. Sure. So um, for that specific instance, normally I tell people to hip hinge a little bit first and then squat down to, mm -hmm. to maintain that proper stacked position. Sure. But I just want, I don't want people to get um, discouraged when they first start trying to focus in on their core. I guarantee it's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I can guarantee is after a couple of weeks of focusing on your core positioning, um, if you can bring that same core positioning to your other exercises, again, they're going to feel a little weaker in the beginning, mm -hmm. but they will feel so much more solid once you can subconsciously activate that bracing pattern. Sure. Right. When you're still trying to like actively think about bracing and performing the exercise, yeah, it's going to be difficult, right? Because you only ever have a meter of 100% effort level. And if 50% is going towards your form and 50% is going towards the weight, you're always going to feel weaker than if 100% of your effort is going towards the weight on the bar. So again, just, just remain patient, um, feel it, record yourself, make sure that you're actually doing the right thing and not just arbitrarily putting yourself in different positions. Uh, make sure you're putting yourself in a more beneficial position. And like I said, just have patience, have some grace with yourself and uh, understand that it'll take a little bit. It does take time. That's something that I've been working on over the past several years, and I'm still trying to nail down, um, you know, w we can always improve, mm -hmm. but it does, yeah, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, learning a new um, motor pathway is very difficult. Yeah. Excuse me, it's very difficult, and um, it can be frustrating, it can be really frustrating, because like, you, one day you'll have it, and it'll feel great, and next day you'll go in there, and you'll just try to do it again, and you have to start all over again. You have to do the same exact build-up sequence as yesterday, and now you feel like you haven't made any progress. But, yeah. you ha but you have, I promise you, you have. Because you're gonna do that a couple more times, the exact same thing, and then one day you are gonna go in there, and you're gonna try to do it, and guess what? It's just gonna work, and you're gonna be like, wow, this is great, and then you're gonna be able to build a little bit, and then eventually you're gonna be able to add weight to that movement pattern. So, like I said, just, just stay patient. Um, and understand that this is a lifelong endeavor. Um, even if you don't plan on competing for the rest of your life, that's fine. But you have to build these sustainable movement patterns and sustainable training habits to make sure that um, those are not your limiting factors. We sure. want to make sure that your decision making is, you know, going to change your path. So sure. So you asked me how to measure training uh, intensity, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a good question. Um, when I would write programs in the Google Sheets, I would utilize like an RPE scale. Mm -hmm. um, and I would only use one to five because I thought it was just a little easier than trying to have someone pick one to 10. But it's essentially the same. It's the same idea. Now that is, again, that's more of like an intermediate level athlete thing because it's difficult when you don't know what maximum exertion feels like. You literally can't prescribe an RPE to it. So RPE stands for rate of perceived exertion. Um, so, but if you don't know what maximum exertion feels like, you can't compare any training intensity to maximum intensity because you don't know what it feels like. So I have people consider RPE even when they first, they're first starting out because I want them thinking about that and building that into their programs so that as they progress as an athlete, they are able to utilize some method of auto-regulation in their training to where, look, if you're feeling good, go ahead, do another set. If, if, 
if that workout, this exercise is feeling really good and you're getting a great pump from it, do an extra set. If you're feeling crappy today and you need to pull back a little bit on the intensity or the reps or the sets, you can do that. But the caveat is you can't just arbitrarily pull back and push forward on, on volume. So I think that that's where the differentiation comes between like a beginner athlete and an intermediate athlete, because the intermediate athlete is going to understand that you still need to maintain a certain amount of volume and, um, and work in order to elicit the changes that you want. Sure. Um, and there's a difference between like just being lazy one day and not feeling it and, you know, understanding that your body needs to pull back a little bit. Yes. Well, what would be a good example of like, if you're using an RPE scale of one to five, you know, what, what is a, a one, what's a five? Like, how can that be relatable to people listening? Sure. Um, so I think maybe describing it might be a little, okay, let's, let's, let me describe it as a power lifter. Okay. Yeah. Um, RP 10 is your one rep max. It's your third attempt on the platform. Um, it's a grinder. It's not moving fast, but you got it done and there's no way you're going to do another rep. And okay. you're probably also not going to put more weight on the bar. You're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've done. You <laughs> the did con- it. The conclusion. Yeah. RP9, um, it's going to move slow. It's going to feel heavy, but you could probably do it for another rep. Okay. If you really had to, put a gun to your head, you probably do it for another rep. Sure. RP8, it's going to feel heavy. Still going to move pretty slow, but you're going to still have two reps in the tank at the end of your set um comfortably right and and anything that reckless training does we're talking about technical failure not um not mechanical failure um rpe7 is okay so now it's you're seeing a pattern now it's three reps in the tank Mm -hmm. um but now the weight yeah it still feels a little heavy but it moves quickly so this is where like recording your lifts comes into play as a power lifter uh to under to start trying to understand um, RPE and what it feels like internally, you can use these external cues. Um, like I've been in a meet before and had to ask you, can I see that video? Because yeah, it always feels heavy. 500 pounds is a lot of weight and it's going to feel heavy when it's on your back. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you squat like 550 or 650 or 750, 500 pounds heavy. Yeah. So or uh, if you squat 90 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 500 pounds can be heavy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I like to look at the video and correlate it to what I felt in my head so I know how much more I had in the tank. Sure. And sometimes it feels heavy, and then I watch the video, and it flew. There was no stopping. There was no grinding. It yeah. was like, okay, well, <laughs> obviously my brain is lying to me. Let's throw another 50 pounds on there. <laughs> that always happens to me when I'll do a lift. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, gosh, it was really hard. And then I'll show you the video. <laughs> and TC's like, oh, that flew. That was so easy. Yeah. I'm like, it was not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's understanding that scale and the intensity. And that's interesting, a point of utilizing video to kind of help determine that. Yeah. Especially in like a compound lift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that um, learning that maximum intensity, the more you practice maximum intensity, the less an RPE7 feels like an RPE9. Sure. You know, because mm-hmm. you know, I have more. I can push harder. Yeah. Um, and really that comes down to your CNS. I mean, like when people first start working out, yeah, your muscles are going to get a little bigger, but you're going to get strong fast because of your neuromuscular pathway sure. being built. Um, so 
we're at a six now. Yeah. You want to keep going down? <laughs> or, or that's the, the what's a one? Um, yeah. So that's the other reason why I didn't really use a one to ten is okay. because so a six um, is going to be like a five six can be your warm ups, right? Okay. Like I want you, I still want you kind of working during your mobility work. I don't want you just kind of like laying around and and. This is not flexibility work. We're not stretching. This is not a cool down. Your mobility work is active. It's it's putting your body through ranges of motion and it's it's an active range of motion. It's not a passive range of motion. Okay. So you are still working. And usually I would prescribe a three when I was one to five. I would do a three for all the mobility stuff. And then if it's like cool down or walking or like a hip flexor stretch, I'll put a two or a one in there. Okay. So you're still squeezing the muscles, still intentionally utilizing them in a warm-up or activation exercise that you would classify as a 5-6. So. Yeah, and if you think about the RPE scale, it's right below 7, which is a weight that feels heavy. Wow. Right, so your mobility work, you should be being very intentional, and it, it has the potential to make you break a sweat um, because you're you're trying to extend your available range of motion. Right. But that's why you program less sets of those warm-up things. We don't want to tire you out. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be going through the motions and I'd give you like three sets of each. Mm-hmm. But we're not just going through the motions here. We're intentional and we're we're trying as hard as we can in anything. Any of the exercises that I prescribe, you should be aiming for maximum intensity or, or maximum effort level. Okay. We'll say maximum effort in sure. any given exercise. Um, and then that kind of goes back to my powerlifting roots because the intensity is the weight on the bar and your mobility stuff is going to be body weight. So technically, according to that def- definition, it's going to be a lower intensity. Sure. But we still want that higher mental intentionality. Okay. Okay. So like it's still going to feel pretty intense, right? Because you're trying pretty hard. But you also understand that if you needed to load the weight, you could. If you needed to do five, ten more reps of that same exercise, you probably could. You know what I mean? Um, okay. So what about like for um, people trying to build muscle? So hypertrophy intention in the gym, is there certain um, intensity levels or you know, numbers on the RPE scale they should be searching for? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that's a can of worms. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I would say generally speaking, aim for 8.5. On the RP scale, 8.5 out of 10. So you should be able to get maybe two more reps with Mm -hmm. good form. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, Now, there's been plenty of research. Uh, There's been a ton of research that's gone into what is the ideal hypertrophic rep range. Yes. Um, And basically what they found is as long as you come as close to failure as possible, you're going to build muscle. And... I think that it's probably also because they don't necessarily know the exact mechanism of muscle mm-hmm. growth. I think there are a couple different mechanisms. Um, but that means, I mean, that's that's why powerlifters still put on muscle. Not as much as bodybuilders, obviously, but they're still putting on muscle because they're right. training to maximum intensity. Correct. Yeah. Now, they're only doing squat bench deadlifts. So, like, you know, their muscle is going to be in very specific places. Sure. Um, but, yeah, so coming as close to failure as possible. Now, if you look at that we kind of step back from that a little bit and look at it you'll understand that higher rep ranges allow you to get closer to failure right if you're going to do a three rep max you you're you may leave let's say 10 percent of your effort in the tank 
but you couldn't have done another rep because it was so heavy. But mm -hmm. if you had a half to that weight, like if there was only half sure. the weight on that bar for that fourth rep, you would have been able to do it because you did have more in the tank. Sure. Just not enough for that one last rep. Whereas if you're going to like 15 to 20 reps, like your first, the difficult part about that is going to be picking a weight that brings you right to failure in the right rep range. Correct. Um, but the benefit of that is, I mean, if it was a little too light, you just keep repping and you just keep going, you know? Um, and if it's a little bit too heavy and you stop at 10 to 12, but you did it all with good form, you're still going to be building muscle. I would agree with that. I feel like an eight to 12 rep, which is what that's they say from this, from lots of studies that that's your best mm -hmm. hypertrophy rep range. I do feel like it, that is a good point. It is easier to pick a weight where you fail within there. <clears throat> when you have something that's prescribed like 15 to 20, I mean, there's sometimes where I can get to, but usually it's, it's where I'm just like repping past 20 and I'm just like, when will this end mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> type of thing? Uh, and then I'm, you know, th th when do you stop basically exactly. when you start getting up into the, those higher ranges? Um, I've always utilized, like growing up in my training, I would utilize 8 to 12. And the way I prescribe that for athletes, um, what that looks like is pick a weight that you can do eight reps with for all three sets. Let's just assume you have three sets. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, next week, try to do nine reps. And whether you get it for one, two, or three sets, in, until, until you can get that weight for nine reps for all three sets then that's when you go up and wait and then you do it for 10 weight. I mean, not wait, but reps. Then you do for 10 reps and then 11 reps. And then once you can do that weight for 12 reps for all three sets, you move up and wait until you can only do eight reps again. That makes sense. So this keeps an emphasis on strength um, and building that, that strength potential so that you have the um, capacity to continue building more muscle. Sure. Uh, strength is an injury preventer. Right. So if the bigger you want to get, the more muscle you want to put on, the more training you're going to have to go through, obviously. Yes. And which which obviously every time you go into the gym, you're you're at risk for injury. Sure. Right? But mm -hmm. the stronger we can make your body, your entire body, not just certain aspects of it, but Correct. your body as a, you know, unit. Exactly. Kinesthetic unit. <laughs> Be um, a unit. Yep. We the, should get T-shirts. <laughs> the stronger we can make your unit. Yeah. The, the, the less. Uh, apt you are to uh, get injured during your training sessions, uh, which obviously that's the biggest barrier to growing muscle is injury, right? Because you're Absolutely. not going to be training, So, yeah. So, okay. Uh, how do you program variations of intensity for people? Because um, I know from my personal experience, I've had, you know, some days where I am going for a three, four rep max on a hip thrust. And there's other days where I'm doing, you know, five sets of uh, 12 to 15 on a hip thrust. You know, there's a lot of variation in the, not just the exercises, but the rep ranges and the intensity levels and different days. So um, yeah, uh, do you want to expand a little bit on your strategy there? Sure. Um, so let's go back to the definition of intensity. Intensity, if intensity is weight on the bar, um, a higher intensity workout, is going to take more strain or, or it's going to be harder on your CNS than a lower intensity workout, right? I mean, that's kind of basic. Sure. Um, now, even if we talk about a higher intensity workout versus a higher volume workout, that's still going to be more stress on your CNS than, you know, the higher volume workout. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the name of the game in building muscle and building strength will always be stress mitigation and your body sees all stress the same. So whether it's stress from work, stress from family, stress from traffic, stress from the gym. Finances. Yeah. Which, you know, everyone has. Yeah. All these different stressors in their life. So we need to make sure that we're paying attention to these things, which is where you come into play. You're exceptional at getting this information from our athletes and then conveying it, conveying it to me um, so that we know what's going on in their life. Um, that was definitely something I was not really good at before you came because I'm just kind of a cut and dry kind of guy. Like, here's your training, like do it or don't, <laughs> you know, basically, yeah. um, because of the athlete that I am. Like, sure. I want sure. to be in their training and Yes. Like you, you got to drag me out of the gym, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but you're, you're really good at getting all of the information that coaches need uh, because it all plays a role in, in learning how to progressively induce stress in the body to make sure that we're getting the adaptations that we want. Right. Um, so you said that you have different intensity days um, often throughout the week. Right, because Correct. you're not going to be able to go into the gym and hit a, hit a three rep max every single day. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're all different workouts. It, it like if you do bench or squat and then bench and then pull ups and then deadlift and then overhead. It doesn't matter if you vary it. You're not going to be able to go in the gym and hit a three rep max every single day of the week. Every week, forever and ever. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that is kind of the principle that um, Westside Barbell Training Method was based on is. Yes, they want you to hit a PR every session. So that's kind of what Brett Contreras talks about too. Correct, yeah. Um, they want you to hit a PR every training session, but your PR is not going to be a one rep max every training session. It's not right. going to be a three rep max. It's not going to be a five rep max every training. It it might be an eight rep max in this training session. It might be, hey, I got 10 pull-ups and my form was so much better than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. You know, like there are so many different ways to view PRs, especially as a bodybuilder. Like when you're not a powerlifter, when you're not locked into those three lifts, um, it's... It's very easy to find the PRs and to find the wins um, on a on a daily basis in your training regimen. That was one of my questions. I actually just wrote that down um, about should we be pushing for PRs every single Constantly. exercise, every single day? Mm -hmm. Like, what does that look like? And obviously, <clears throat> I think it's more or less described as progress. Exactly. It's um, progressive overload, linear progression, any, any, any of these buzzwords that you want to attribute to it. If you're going in and you're doing kickbacks with 10 pounds every single day that you do kickbacks for three years in a row, mm -hmm. do you think it's going to be eliciting the same response on year three that it was on day one? Sure. You know? That's a good point. Yeah. So we need to maintain this progressive lower. And sometimes you're still only going to be using 10 pounds, but you're going to add an exercise in before it. Now you're going to superset mm -hmm. and you're really going to burn that muscle out. And now you're doing the same thing that you were opening up with as a finisher. Mm -hmm. And that's progress. Um, that's a good point too. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really important to remember that like, it, it, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. Right. And, and there's more than one way to view programming and training. And because your body is like we were just talking about, it's an entire kinesthetic unit. It's not individual body parts. You're able, and especially with bodybuilding where you are literally building your entire body, there's so much room to hit PRs in, mm -hmm. in every single day to, you know, help your training mentality, I think is, is a really good way. To put yeah, it. that's a good point. Um, so what about the scientific uh, benefits of, you know, incorporating some 
heavy lower rep exercises and then incorporating some higher rep, maybe moderate and the, the different variations of RPE for those exercises. Um, yeah. What's your, um, so what I've noticed is, and I'm not alone in this, um, working up to a top set and then backing off to do your volume sets. Not only does it make the weight feel lighter when you do your volume set, whereas if you just worked up to your set of eight, like that's the heaviest weight that you touch that day. That's going to feel like the heaviest weight that you touch mm-hmm. that day for all of your working sets, which is a pain. <laughs> um, whereas if you work up to a top single, the rest of the weight, the rest of the day is going to feel a little lighter. Um, that's number one. Number two is working up to those, that those top sets uh, is going to activate a higher percentage of muscle fibers in whatever muscle groups you're trying to activate. And then when you back off, you're able to now bring a little bit more mental intentionality because just like we were talking about earlier, you have that gauge of 100% of your, your, your effort that you can give towards a lift. And now when you're, when you're doing a three rep max, for example, the weight on the bar is taking 98% of your effort, your mental focus, right? Sure. And then as soon as you back off, let's say you back off 20%, now it's only taking 80%. What are you going to do with that last 20%? You're going to put it towards your form. You're going to make sure that you're you're executing these lifts and the reps as perfectly as possible. And with a more repeatable form, you're going to make much faster progress because your body doesn't have to relearn a motor pathway. So you ingrain the neuromuscular pathway and then you rep it and you practice it. And that's what your volume set is. Yes, it's work. It's hypertrophy work. You're building muscle. But really what it is, is it's practice. It's form practice. I would agree with that. And I've talked about this on the podcast before about how that's really helped my hip thrust. Um, Because in the past, I would stop. Um, Well, first of all, I I didn't do very good like recovery work and activation work, but I would try and hip thrust each week, try and add more weight on there, try and like increase, increase, increase little by little those incremental changes. And um, since we've incorporated different variations of like, cause I would never try and reach for a three or a five rep max. I would always stay within that eight to 12 rep range and try and increase weight incrementally that way. And then trying to <laughs> execute a lift at a lower rep range with heavier weight at first felt counterintuitive to me. Cause I was like, but this isn't isolating my, you know, bikini girls. We just want big glutes and our wellness girls. We just all want big glutes. So this isn't really, I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling it in my hamstrings. Um, I'm feeling it in my adductors. Uh, it's just, it's not working is what I would say. Um, and so I would always constantly work at a lower weight because that's the only weight that I could feel my glutes working at. And then since working with you over the past, I mean, it's taken time. It's taken two years. Um, I've been able to shift my training style and my mentality around it and you know, now I'm hip thrusting more weight than I have. Uh, happy birthday to me. <laughs> that was a great, um, thank you for programming such a good hip thrust uh, workout on my birthday in September. Um, yeah, how much you get? Tell them. Uh, well, the week before, I don't, I don't remember how much I got on a barbell. I think it was like three. I thought it was 365. That's what I think. Off of a barbell, 365, I think I got for five, which was huge for me. When you can put, I now I understand why powerlifters love those big <laughs> plates. When you could put that many big plates on your bar, it's just fun. It's re, it's cool. Um, so like that was good, and then 
you know, following that uh, on a Smith machine, I was hip thrusting 405, mm -hmm. I think, for mm -hmm. several reps. And never in my wildest dreams would I ever think that I could hip thrust that amount. And, but being able to execute those lifts at a heavier weight, now my eight to 10 rep range sets are crazy, mm -hmm. like crazy high in the 200s, like, um, it's because you know what that maximum intensity feels like. Right. Yeah. And if I hadn't experienced it, I probably wouldn't have believed it. I probably would have told you you were crazy, but no, you did. <laughs> well, yeah, I do that on a regular basis too. <laughs> yeah, but, no, but I am crazy. That's we no know that, secret. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm saying is like, and I think I, like you said in the beginning, you had to work on core and form and you had to start with the basics and then it just kind of like built upon. So like, I didn't just go in there and like, okay, now I'm going to do a three rep max with 300 pounds when my body had not gone past like 185. Um, it just took a lot of that intentionality in that work. But, yeah. Yeah. It takes time to build up to it. And I feel my glutes. That's the other thing too. It was like maybe on those three rep max uh, exercises, I'm not, yeah, I'm feeling my whole body working. It's like, it's a different mentality when you're trying to lift mm -hmm. that way. And I'm still learning that because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a bodybuilder. But when I do back down, like you said, when you're using that range, like now I'm able to like really focus on like n my glutes are pushing this weight of bigger percentage than any of the other muscles in my legs that are kind of like assisting in the workout. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's anecdotal stuff for my bikini girls. Yeah. Which also the muscle groups that you were feeling in the past were also muscle groups that you weren't working in the past. Yeah. I never trained my legs. Mm -hmm. I always just trained my glutes because my legs, I didn't want to be too big. They grew fast. Yeah. But if you consider like the most stable part of your lift is the ground and your connection to the ground between your glutes is your legs. Mm -hmm. So all these stabilizer muscles need to be strong. They don't need to be big. Right. But they need to be strong in order to handle that 405 pounds on your lap. Right. So how you train mm -hmm. adduction, adductor muscles. Yeah. So that kind of goes into intensity as well. Right. So for your adductors, we're not going to do a ton of volume. It's going to be higher intensity stuff right. because we want strong adductors. We don't want big adductors. We want strong adductors. We want strong hamstrings. We want strong quads as mm -hmm. bikini competitors. Um, and yeah, you do want a little bit of size and definition there, right? We want shape. We want athletic looking legs for the, for the category. Um, but they need to be so much stronger than they are big because your glutes have to be so much bigger right. than your legs. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that's an important thing to remember as well, that just because you don't want something to be big does not mean you should not train it. Right. Um, it just means you should train it differently. Correct. So that's something to, you know, remember as well. So that's kind of going to the, the mental intensity thing, mm -hmm. the mental intentionality thing, um, where our focus is going to kind of determine the end uh, the, what's going to happen at sure. the end of your workout. Yeah. You know? Um, so real quickly, you mentioned about like bodybuilding being able to measure quote unquote PRs more easily than powerlifters because powerlifters, your PRs are measured off of. Well, just more availability for, sure. to hit PRs because you don't care about a one rep max. Like the weight on the bar is not the only thing you care about. Whereas powerlifters, 
excuse me, they could hit three rep max. They could hit five rep max. They could hit 10 rep max. They, they can hit all these things too, right? Like it's, it's all there. They, they should be training these things. Like we've talked about in the power building episode, I think it's really beneficial to have a um, bodybuilding block and a powerlifting block at no matter what kind of athlete you are. Um, but all they think about is the one rep max. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. That so, makes sense yeah. for the sport. Mm-hmm. How do you continue or, or how do you vary intensity for a powerlifter or how do you keep measuring progress when you can't go in there and do a one rep max every single time you hit the gym? So we force stuff like six rep max on these people, (laughs) Um, like three and six rep maxes Uh, for powerlifters. I think that the six rep max is really beneficial. Now, obviously the weight that you're using for your sets of eight to 12. Yeah. You can call that a PR. This is the most reps I've done with this weight, you know, like, and powerlifters do get excited about those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Obviously the most exciting thing for a powerlifter is the, the one rep max PR. Sure. Whereas the bodybuilder, like it, well, it's kind of, I guess, bittersweet because since they don't care about that stuff, like you have to convince yourself that this PR was worth getting happy about, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was happy with my four rep. Yeah. I don't really care about a one rep to be perfectly well, honest. That's fine. That's why we don't program it for yeah. you. You know, I think three is the lowest that we go with. Yeah, that's, that's enough. Mm-hmm. A three to six, I think is plenty. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I tell people too, like, if you don't feel comfortable only doing three reps, that's fine. Mm-hmm. The other thing I say is I want you to pick a weight that you are the, the highest weight that you are comfortable with doing three reps. Um, so especially when you're a beginner, you really don't want to go outside of your quote unquote comfort zone. And I said, quote unquote, because if you're not uncomfortable, you're not changing. Sure. Right. So we still want to push and we want to continue that eye towards progressive overload and linear progression. Um, but when you're first starting out, you have to make sure that you're, you understand your own body's capabilities. Sure. Um, now I grew up training by myself, um, whether it was in high school or I'd go in before jazz band and work out and, or work out my barn after school, or, you know, now I work out the barn, I work out by myself. <clears throat> you kind of learn where your failure point is, you know, and when you're working up to your top sets, you kind of learn what your body feels like and what it's going to be capable of that day. Um, down to like five pounds like i've hit a i've Mm. i've loaded a top set on there and it was a bit of a grinder and i knew that if i put that five pound weight that i really wanted to because it was 595 not 600 oh yeah (laughs) and if i had have done that if i hadn't stayed strict with myself knowing what i was capable of that day instead of letting my ego take over i would have failed that rep sure but instead we got another good rep in the tank Mm -hmm. so that is definitely a learned trait that's hard. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. especially when people are starting to learn. Yes. Like a comp. A, so to me, I think back squatting is scary doing by yourself mm-hmm. uh, because I don't know, maybe I watch too many awful <laughs> videos. But also, like, it's just scary putting that weight on your body and, and trying to learn will it come back up from that? Yes. Like, I, I understand why people don't get deep enough because there's that threshold of like, Okay, this is, you know, comp- point of no return. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That sticking point at the bottom. Um, but I th- I think that's a really wise thing that you said, uh, especially if you're not you're not a powerlifter and you're learning to back squat by yourself, like what you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. in a certain rep range, like also 
um, just because you mentioned that, first of all, for me, a bench, bench is much scarier than hmm. squat. But here's why. Um, I'm going to tell all of our listeners right now to next time you go do squats, find an area where, you know, find a squat rack where there's not going to be anyone behind you. Put a 25-pound bumper plate on each side of the bar. Squat, do a rep, stand up, dump the weight. Hmm. Throw it off your back. Learn how to bail, okay? And I did this. I only did it one time. And once I felt what bailing felt like, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's what I'll have to do it's if it ever happens. intimidating. Exactly. Because a squat, you can just let go of the weight and drop it off your back. Interesting. Whereas a bench, yeah, <laughs> it's going on your neck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh or, you're, or you're lowering it down to your chest and you're doing the roll of shame, which is where you, you know, roll it <laughs> yes. down to your freaking oh, lap. And yeah. you got to sit up and get out from under it and like unload the weight. And like, it's just the roll of shame. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> So yeah, for, for me, bench, not, I'm not going to say it's scary, but I'm more comfortable with squat and deadlift definitely than bench. So um, they're stronger lifts for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, learn how to bail on squat and that will make you a lot more comfortable when you're squatting. Use a spotter. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's obviously going to be your best option. Um, and what I've noticed with using a spotter, especially for myself is you can let go of your anxiety and worry because you know what if you don't come back up you got a spotter he'll help you just don't stop driving that's one thing i've spotted people and they just like they're going and they just stop and go all the way down the hole i'm like what do you expect me to do man you got like 400 pounds on your back i can't I it's can't. a team effort yeah you have to keep going just keep driving and if you say no or shake your head or do something like let the spotter know what you're gonna do if you can't finish the lift say yes. hey i'm pretty sure i can get this but if i can't i'm gonna say no so just be ready for it. If I say no, grab me and help me. Sure. And you should never stop driving the weight. Never. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a couple little etiquette terms in there. I think that there's um, something to be said about learning how to spot properly as well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, learning how to spot properly, learning how... I mean, that this all goes into becoming the intermediate lifter, right? Sure, yeah. So as a beginning, beginner lifter... Um, you're going to be learning your exercises. You're going to be learning your body. Um, and you're going to be learning gym etiquette. Those mm-hmm. are the three things that you're probably going to be learning as a beginner lifter. Sure. And as an intermediate lifter, you're probably going to have a pretty good handle on those three things. Um, and the things you're going to be working on there is building intensity, um, your mobility and increasing the availability of your body, essentially, right? So we learned your body in the first part. Now we're increasing the availability in the last part. And then as an advanced level athlete, it's you're probably going to have a, a lot more specificity in your training. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as a as a bodybuilder, let me back up. You're going to have a lot more specificity in your training. As an advanced level athlete, you're probably going to be a lot stronger. So each of your workouts, instead of moving, let's arbitrarily say 5,000 pounds in this workout, you're going to be moving 10,000 pounds in this workout. Okay. So on a weekly basis, your workload increases exponentially mm-hmm. so that's when you start having to cut back on your training either the sessions either the the time oh, okay. um, so now this definitely has to do with more advanced level power lifters right like if, yeah if you're going in there if your deadlift max is 800 and your working sets are 650 pounds to 700 pounds you're not going to be able to do that on a very regular basis. Whereas when you first start training, I'm going to probably have you do squats three times a week because we need to learn how to do squats. 
Now, when you advance, when you're in the intermediate level, now we're going to be a little more intentional with the loading. You're going to have a maximum intensity day. And you're going to have a volume day. So you're still practicing those repetitions, but you're also practicing the maximum intensity. And then as an advanced level athlete, you probably don't need the repetition work as much. You still need it. And we're still going to do volume days because to give your CNS a break. You can't sure. just go in there and have super high intensity days every single right. day. Right. Um, but it's... The, the training gets modified because just like we talked about earlier, it's all about stress mitigation. So the more stress that you're putting into your body, the less often you're going to be able to do that. Now, obviously, your body is getting better at recovery, you know, as, as you advance as an athlete as well, um, especially if you're taking something to help that. But mm-hmm. um, it's still important to remember that, thankfully, you're not a robot. And you, you can't just arbitrarily just keep going. You know, you have to um, pull back sometimes. But mm-hmm. again, as an advanced level athlete, you understand that little bit of autoregulation in your training. And some days you just got to change it up a little bit. You know, I, I hit 470 instead of 485 for my bench max today. You know, like not, not me. That, that'll be the day. <laughs> wow. Very <laughs> good job. Uh, but this is just an example. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's no matter what's prescribed. Yes, that's what you're going to aim for. But if you have, generally speaking, as an intermediate or advanced level powerlifter, if you have a top set prescribed, um, I know me as a coach, I would put the, the weight number and the RPE number in there. Some coaches only put the RPE number in there and they leave it up to the athlete to determine what weight that RPE is going to be. I put both in there because the weight is a suggestion based on what I think that they'll be able to hit that day for this RPE. But then I leave it up to the athlete to decide during their warm-up sets, what weight they're going to be able to hit utilizing the prescribed RPE, because that's going to be more important because again, stress mitigation. Sure. What about for, um, like a bodybuilding athlete or hypertrophy client who, um, what information or what suggestions would you give them for auto-regulation and knowing what to, you're smiling. So. Yes. That's because <laughs> auto-regulation for bodybuilders is going to be a little harder. Yeah. Um, the bodybuilder syndrome is more is better. Um, more cardio is better. More dieting is better. More, work in the gym is better because uh, theoretically in your brain that's going to bring better conditioning to the stage sure mm-hmm. that's not always the case Correct. again stress mitigation and what is like one of the biggest factors that we see for a watery look on stage peak yeah. week stress mm-hmm. and if you can't mitigate your peak week stress man you just flushed all and that's pretty much what happened to us like yeah we still look great we took fifth place natural athlete on an untested stage we did a good job, but I know that we could have done better right? because the week leading up to the competition, we had some digestive issues. We had a lot of stress um, and it just, just wasn't ideal. That's okay. It, it is what it is. You know, again, marathon mentality right. and keep your eye on the end game. Sure. Um, okay. Going back to bodybuilders and autoregulation. Uh, I probably would not give them as much free reign as I would give to certain powerlifters. Okay. Um, because of that fact, the, sure. the, the more is better mentality. Yeah, and I would I, agree. I fall into that as well. Um, I have caught myself going to the gym every single day during prep. And you got up and you're like, okay, you can still go to the gym, do your mobility work today. 
and then I'll do that. And I'll get to the gym, do my mobility. I'll start to feel good. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Just, just pump this a little bit. No. When you no. get closer <laughs> to a show, it's harder too because yeah. you want to be better. Mm-hmm. You know that timeline is coming up. I fell into that trap where I was like, every day I needed to be in the gym doing something. I was like, I don't, it wasn't really benefiting me, but for my brain, it felt like, okay, I'm doing something. And I remember asking you recently, when was your last rest day? And you just smiled at me. <laughs> so it is, it is that, it is a trap. Yes. Um, yeah. And luckily I have a pretty heavy emphasis on mobility. So it's not like I'm just going into the gym and correct. beating crap out of my body. Yeah. Yes. It is pretty much half and half, even on the days that like I should be resting and, you know, I still go to the gym. I'm only doing like three sets of pull downs and so and I'm getting a lat and a chest pump basically, sure, right? Sure. Those are the body parts that we need to build. So I'm going to get a little bit of a pump before I go to go home. You know, it's, I'm not, I'm not in there killing myself. And I think that maybe that's part of the auto-regulation that we're talking about. You know, if you okay. have a mobility or recovery day, but you want to get a pump, but it requires you being a responsible athlete and not just having another workout day. You can't, you can't just work out every single day. You mm-hmm. can't do that. Um, now getting some blood flow to problem areas could be very beneficial for you in the long run. Um, it could help build that neuromuscular pathway that we were talking about, right? Like it's ingraining the movement pattern. You're getting those repetitions in at a lower intensity so that you can make sure that your body is properly positioned. Um, so it could be really good for that. Um, so I think that the autoregulation for bodybuilders comes in to play with them internally communicating with their body Mm -hmm. i do not have that capacity for any athlete i cannot feel what your body is feeling on a regular basis right i can't um understand i mean you can explain it to me but i don't know like when you're doing a lap pull down are you compensating at all do you feel it do you feel different activation do you feel your left for for example for me for when i'm doing pull downs um before I started focusing on my core, I would get like a clicking in my left scapula. And I thought I was doing it properly until you record yourself and you see, okay, well, that's a little screwed up. So the, the autoregulation for a bodybuilder comes into play when you're talking about the mobility exercises necessary and the focal point on positioning for the bodybuilder. Um, I do think that it is a lot of tied into what you're talking about with stress. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know for me, um, I get to a point where my lifts just are crappy. My muscle connection is awful. And I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels in the gym trying to perform or execute the workout that's prescribed to me when my body's just not in a place to be able to to do a good job. I need to kind of like shift gears and, um, and that's where like communicating with you is important to let you know, Hey, I'm kind of reaching my point of like not feeling successful. I'm just feeling more frustrated. What can we do to, like you said earlier in the podcast, still continue towards those goals, but maybe make some modifications. Um, and to do like something that has helped me that we've done, uh, is bringing more unilateral work into like shifting into more unilateral work so I can concentrate on, you know, unilateral work is usually lighter weight anyways, because you're, you know, cutting your body in half basically. Um, and allowing me to focus on one side at a time, which is less work for my brain trying to get like the, you know, 
both glutes to work at the same time. Now I'm just concentrating on one. Um, and it takes down the, um, the overall workload, I feel like, on my body and my CNS. So, like... Well, yeah. You only move, like, 21 raccoons when you're doing your... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those stupid things. What did I get yesterday? I think I got, like, lizards or something yesterday. I was like, man, I want elephants. So, we have an app that um, it gives you, like, a report at the end of your workout. And they'll give you, like, a funny yeah. thing of how many... Speci- like, sometimes so it's an animal, animal group. Or walls. So yeah. Yeah, what? yeah. How many you moved that day? King you moved. Kong. <laughs> you moved four King Kongs today. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I've been getting... Uh, I think I got chihuahuas one day, too. So you just have to be okay mm-hmm. with those adjustments. But I actually feel better kind of taking a little bit of a setback from, like, putting my body through some of those heavy lifts. Because I know... I'll like once my body kind of like comes back up to baseline, I'm going to want to reach for those things again. But it's about like segmenting your training um, for your goals and also paying attention to those biomarkers of how your body is feeling. So, um, which brings us to technique week. Yes. So, talk about where technique came from. <laughs> it came from this, uh, problem client that i had still have still have technique week was coined by reckless training because i did not want to do a deload hearing the word deload made me furious uh because i can get into that mentality too of just like more 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 and i remember your suggestion like let's pull back a little bit i can tell that you're getting frustrated which made me even more mad and so we had to name it something else So that I would buy in. So that's another component of the mentality behind an athlete. So we'd reckless training coin technique week, um, which I instituted with some of my clients uh, in the past since we worked on that. And I think it worked beautifully. So yeah, why don't you talk about what technique week is and its purpose? So I think that calling a technique, calling a deload week automatically brings the athlete down, right? Just like you were saying, like you feel throttled. You don't want to feel throttled. You want to keep going. Right. Technique week gives you a new focal point for Mm -hmm. your training. Um, And you understand that it's only a week. And we are, basically what we're doing is we're going to pause work on the skyscraper Mm -hmm. so that we can come back down to the foundation, patch any cracks that are there and make sure, you know, all the plumbing, all the electrical, everything's in order so that we can keep building up top. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's, also really beneficial when you've just gone through a high stress situation, right? So we just had my peak week, which was also Janelle's peak week. Um, We had a bunch of other things going on that week. And then the week after you just, you crashed. Oh man. Yeah. Tried, you tried to keep pushing and now we're here. I was amazed. I was like, I wasn't even the person competing that weekend. (laughs) and I'm still recovering, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. And we just need to be able to be honest with ourselves. And I think that's another marker of an advanced level athlete is someone who can be honest with themselves about how they're, how they're feeling and what their body needs. Um, instead of just arbitrarily wanting something different. Yeah. Right. We, reality doesn't care about your emotions or your desires. It just doesn't. And I know that that, that sucks to hear and to say, but it's true. And, And the sooner that you can accept that as an athlete, I think the more efficiently you can progress your training because no longer are you trying to say, but I want to do this. And that's, man, when I first hurt my back, you know, like the next year or two, I I was feeling sorry for, I was not a good athlete. Mm. I was not a good athlete. 
um, because I was focusing on what I wanted to do instead of what I still could do. And then mm. once I made the switch and said, you know what, I'm going to compete in a bodybuilding show. I'm going to, you know, balance out my body again. And then I will come back to powerlifting. I'm not going to squat. I'm not going to deadlift and I'm not going to flat bench press. And I squat and deadlift and bench press every once in a while. Right. Um, just to kind of like, you know, grease the joints and grease that movement pattern and stuff. Sure. Um, and also to kind of see how it feels on yeah. my back. Um, but but yeah, I've, I've really thrown myself into bodybuilding because, again, it gives you that different focal point. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with Technique Week. If you're super stressed and the your CNS is just super fried because of whatever you got going on the rest of your life um, or just because your training has accumulated a ton of stress and it's time for a deload, mm -hmm. then we take this deload week, we give you a new focus, we put a bunch of unilateral work in there, and we alter how your CNS is being recruited and how your, your kinesthetic unit is being recruited. Mm -hmm. Um to give those other pathways a break for a week right? Um, while you are still feeling like you're working towards your goals, which right. you are, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. It's so, so rewarding. It's mm -hmm. just a shift. Yeah. There's a, I think Squat University says you can't squat on one foot. You have no business squatting on two feet, mm. you know, and, and that's like, no one wants to hear that because no one can do single leg squats. You <laughs> yeah. know, they, they suck. Like they're yeah. not fun. Yeah. But that's true. Like if you don't have unilateral strength, then you don't have that, um, cross body stability and you're eventually going to hurt yourself will and, and anyone not watching i'm raising my hand because yeah. when i first started lifting again in my late 20s i was like 27 27 when i first started lifting again and i got right into powerlifting, um and that's what i did squat bench deadlift and my lifts went up astronomically because i've always been focused on strength so i had the foundation and now because my youth, I only did eight to 12. And then I s just start doing one rep maxes. It's going to start here and increase exponentially pretty right. quickly, you know? Correct. Um, so that happened. And instead of doing the mobility work, instead of doing the unilateral work um, and the deload work that was necessary to perpetuate that progress, um, I just kept going because I was a stupid kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and eventually hurt myself. So, um, yeah, so Technique Week is very useful in giving someone a different focal point in rebuilding that foundation and making sure that your body is able to accept um, a higher work capacity, a higher workload, a higher mm -hmm. work intensity. Um, and it's, it's really good at keeping the athlete engaged while also allowing their central nervous system to kind of relax a little bit. Right. So, yeah. and everyone's Technique Week could look different. It could all look the exact same, but it could also look different too. Right. You know? Yeah. Because it's dependent on what the person needs to be working on in their foundation. Yeah. Like if I have a bodybuilder who loves CrossFit, I'll probably give him some circuit style training just to burn some calories. It's like a 30 to 45 minute workout. Go in there, get some movement in. You love high intensity interval training. We're going to aim for medium intensity because it's deload week. Um, if I have a power lifter, you know, they're probably going to be doing compound lifts. Um, but with the accessories afterwards, it's going to be a lower percentage. Mm -hmm. um, like you're, you'll probably use 70% of your one rep max, which is generally a six to eight rep range. And I'll probably prescribe it for three to five. Okay. Um, we might do paused reps for, you know, deadlifts and squats, um, which also they can have a higher CNS load. Um, sure. But that's why you keep the intensity down, the weight on the bar, right? So we, right. we use a lower percentage of our one rep max when we're doing that during technique week because the focus is on building the neuromuscular pathway in that range of motion. It's not necessarily building strength in that position. So, 
And uh, what are the benefits? Like, what do people or what have you seen happen with people that execute a technique week and they get back into the gym um, with, with more intensity? They're still in the gym. More intentionality as well. Mm. That's, I think, what we see after a technique week because these athletes, no matter how run down they feel, they still want to work hard. Yeah. They still want to get to their goals. And if I just give them a new goal, they're going to chase it as just as much as if they were chasing something else, you know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes not as much because they don't enjoy it as much. Like unilateral stuff is like not as fun as doing a one rep squat rack right. mm-hmm. uh, max for me, you know? Sure. Um, but generally speaking, when they come back to the gym the next week, they feel super, super strong because we've reestablished a connection to all of your different stabilizer muscles. And we have alleviated the stress from your central nervous system and you're just ready to go. So I think that that's probably, you know, the biggest benefit. Uh, um, Aside from the internal dialogue and communication that these unilateral and mobility and rehab style exercises uh, forces upon an athlete, like when you're doing a unilateral exercise, you necessarily have to think a lot more. You know, if you're doing a single leg squat, you got to think about bracing, you got to think about your hip positioning, you got to think about your shoulders, keeping your head straight. Whereas if you're doing a squat, you're just getting on the bar and you stay as tight as possible. That's pretty much it. Squat down, stand back up. So, yeah, it, it, I think it helps to reestablish that mental intentionality in your training. Um, and then from your technique week, basically we've increased your intensity. Your technique week brings it back down and then we increase it again. And then ideally we bring it back down to just above where we brought it back down last time and build from there and then bring it back down to just above where we brought it last time and build from there. And eventually you're where you want to get to. Right. So it looks like a mountain range Mm -hmm. with the mountains increasingly, the valleys get higher and the peaks are higher. Yep, exactly. And that, I mean, it's the same thing that you're doing with um, like on, on a micro level in your training cycle. Um, when you train, your body goes into an alarm phase and, and your performance potential goes down for a brief time. And then you come back up and it goes through a super compensation phase and your performance increases. And then if you don't do anything, it goes back to baseline. Hmm. So ideally, when, we, when you're structuring a workout program, you hit a workout, it goes through the alarm, goes to the super compensation phase, and then that's where you hit your next workout. And then now that's your baseline and your alarm phase was your old baseline. And then your super compensation phase is above where it was next last time. And then you hit your workout again. So that's why, yeah, yeah it's the I'm, wave. I'm doing the hand gestures that he's doing. <laughs> um, but that's like, that is why I structure workouts the way I do. And some people are like, you know, um, for different splits, like, you know, I use, I usually use a bro split. Why do you do it like this? Um, can I move my recovery days around? Like I get a bunch of questions like that. And the answer is yes, you can move it and you can organize it the way you want to, but just understand that I've, I've organized and positions positioned these workouts to try to make it so that your body can make full use of them and make sure that we're fully recovered for your next workout. Sure. sure. Um, well, or f- quote unquote fully recovered because we want you in that super compensation phase, sure. not, the, not back to the baseline. So, uh, would you say people sometimes need more than one week for a technique week? Yeah. If, if they're going through an exceptionally stressful time in their life, you know, like if you're going through a divorce or something, mm-hmm. um, maybe even like a death in the family, sure. like 
there are certain situations where I feel like we need to pull back a little more. But again, you're not pulling back on your progress. Sure. You're just altering it. Sure. And I think that that's the hardest thing for any athlete to understand is that just because your intensity isn't super, super high doesn't mean that you're not making progress. My intensity in training for the past year has been like, okay, I push as hard as I can in anything that I do. Okay. I put as much effort as I possibly can in anything that I do. But if you watch me work out, um, let's just say, for example, Planet Fitness, they have a chest press machine. I don't, generally speaking, go above 100 pounds mm. because I'm looking for the connection. I'm, I'm looking to ingrain a new movement pattern. I don't want to resort back to my old movement patterns that had me hurting my shoulders. Just every to other push bench. more weight. Mm-hmm. So, like, the one thing that I'll go super heavy on is leg press. You know, I'll work up, I'll fill up the... Take all the plates and, from everyone else yeah. around him. Yeah. Well, that's not my fault. They don't put enough plates in there. <laughs> <laughs> I only need 16. <laughs> I feel like I have to go help. Are you using this? Okay, he needs this. Um, but yeah, that's the one thing. And that's still, I do it for like six reps, you know, so it's not like one rep max. But Sure, yeah. But yeah, and, and it's because I've been sculpting and um, trying to find new positions. And I've been trying to repattern my movement patterns. Um which is not necessarily something that most athletes do on a regular basis, mm -hmm. you know, but that's pretty much all that my training has consisted of this year. And, um, it looks like I put a ton of muscle mass on and I might've put like five pounds on, I guess, which sounds, I guess, like a lot. That is a lot. Saying yeah. that as a natural athlete. But also if you think about the previous two years, I wasn't even working out that much. Mm -hmm. So if I had been putting maximum intensity towards my hypertrophy work like i'm sure that we could have got a little more my stage weight probably would have been like 193 195 instead of 187 190 mm -hmm. um but that's just not where i was in my athletic career right so could you be could you ever be too intense you know when you dislocate your shoulder or something i'm just kidding <laughs> It's too intense if you need to go in an ambulance. Uh, but yeah, I mean, is there uh, a negative for too much intensity, too much like pushing the envelope uh, where it becomes detrimental? Uh, yes. So that's a good question. Um, how do I want to answer that? I mean, obviously an athlete has to work harder than it has. You have to reach a certain threshold to achieve extreme results mm -hmm. but can you overdo it i think that understanding where to place your intensity level i think is is the important thing because okay so as an elite level athlete not advanced not intermediate but like an elite athlete mentality is i'm going to work as hard as possible at everything that i do that is going to bring me towards my goals um that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to try to use as much weight as possible in everything that I do. That's it, a good point. You know, yep. um, you can have maximum intensity in your mobility work, you know, and, and that kind of translates, that goes back to the different definitions I was talking about. So let's instead say you can have maximum mental intentionality mm -hmm. in certain exercises. And the way that I kind of differentiate that in our programs is generally speaking, if I want maximum intensity, like um, weight on the bar, I give you a rep range. And just like I talked about earlier, I want you to aim for the bottom of that rep range and steadily increase until you get to the top and then increase your weight 
go back down to the bottom of the rep range and work yourself back up again. Um, if I want maximum mental intentionality, I generally give you a rep count. So for stuff like glute kickbacks, mm-hmm. um, hip airplanes, um, pigeon liftoffs, um, all this stuff is going to have um, rep counts because that's where I want you to stop. I want you, you know that this is how many reps you have to do. And so you're going to pick a weight that you can definitely manage that. Mm-hmm. But we want absolute muscle contraction and isolation. So we need to be super, super intentional about our, our bracing and our body positioning. Um, and we need to make sure that we're squeezing as hard as possible for these exercises to activate the most amount of muscle fibers possible. Yeah, so so there are differences in, in your training intentionalities. Um, but I would say that like, so yes, your quote unquote intensity being defined as weight on the bar or, or, or the amount of weight that you're using for a particular exercise, the quote unquote intensity is not necessarily going to be at 100% for every single exercise that you do, mm-hmm. but your mental intentionality is. Okay. No matter what exercise you're doing, whether it's a one rep max or whether it's your warm ups, you should be fully committed mentally to what you're doing right now. Um, and I think that's, that's one thing that happens to a lot of people is they get caught up especially because I tell people like record themselves and then they record themselves and they go on, they get caught up. Uh, someone texted me and now you're in a conversation or you start like cruising Instagram or something. You go to the bathroom and sit down, cruise Facebook and you get distracted. Now all of a sudden you're not in the same mental state that you were five minutes ago. Um, as elite athletes with goals, I think it's really important that we remain focused in our workout sessions and have and maintain that 100% mental intentionality um, the mental intensity, I think, is probably more important than the physical intensity. Sure. So that's going to look different depending on the level of athlete. Yeah. Um, where their brain is at during the, mm-hmm. that gym session. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it depends on your goals, too. You know, if, if you want to win the Olympia, man, you better not be focused on, you better not be thinking about anything else probably all day. You know, like these people in the, on the Olympia stage, that's all they do. You know, yeah, they, they, some of them have some jobs. Some of them are online coaches. Some of them are trainers, posing coaches, this, that, and the other, but. Some of them are doctors and nurses. Some of them. Yeah. Very few. Um, but that's because those are super demanding jobs, you know? And I mean, to get to the Olympia stage, it's, we already know that bodybuilding takes. Everything. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It takes your soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So well, it can, it can. So I think also tempering your expectations between what you're, the energy you're, you're able to put towards this prep and the outcome that you want. And you have sure. to understand that if you only have 20 minutes a day to work out, you're probably not going to get the same results as someone who's devoting their entire life to this. Sure. You know, and, and you and I have been poor athletes for three years now, <laughs> but that's because that's what we're chasing. And you know what? Yeah. We, we have all our food. We have all our supplements. And we have our training and we have, if we need training equipment, we get it. If we need supplements, we get it. If we need food, we get it. But there's not very much room for anything else, but that's because of our goals. You want to get to the Olympia stage and I want to do what I want to do. (laughs) So I think it's just very important to, you know, temper your expectations. And, and just like we talked about earlier, if you're a bodybuilder going into a bodybuilding show, like your expectation should never be to win the show. Mm -hmm. It should never be to win the show. It doesn't matter how good you look. It should always be to beat your last package. Agreed. Um, 
And even if you look different, if you had a better prep and you don't look as good as your last one, but you had a better prep and you're happier, I would count that as a win. I absolutely would count that as a win. Yeah. I so. just talked to a girl recently who she said that she's she's got similar placement, but she said her prep was so much better. And to me, that's a huge, that's a huge win. And that's a tribute to her utilizing her prep differently, managing her time, you know, like, like you said, there's a lot of ways to measure progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially in bodybuilding, it always, well, powerlifting too, I guess, but it depends who shows up. Like my first show, I got second. I prepped for 10 more weeks and got fifth, <laughs> you know, like. And you looked better. Yeah. Your placement is not always going to, you know, sh like reflect right. the amount of work that you put in. And that's why it's important to remember it's you versus you. And I know that might sound cliche at this point in the sport, but that it's, it's true. And either you adopt that mentality or you get very discouraged very quickly. Sure. So. Okay. Well, I think that covers pretty much all of my questions about, oh, they're not my questions. <laughs> uh, thank you for people who submitted questions asking about um, like training style, training intensity, program design. Um, There's a lot of really good questions in here. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Um, does there anything else you wanted to close with or something that we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure the listeners heard? Um, maybe just to reiterate that I don't think that there's any stage of prep that's more important than another one. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people think peak week is the most important time. A lot of people think your eight to 12 week pre-show prep is the most important time. Um, if you didn't do the work in the off season, you can prep and peak all you want. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make any difference. You're going to look the same or worse than you did last year. Um, so I think understanding that bringing maximum intentionality to every single stage of your career as an athlete is very important. And also understanding that in each stage of your career as an athlete, your needs are going to change mm -hmm. um, from year to year, from prep to prep, from show to show. You're just not the same person that you were right. last year, last month, last week, yesterday. Mm -hmm. So there's so many factors that go into this that like first of all that's why bodybuilders love consistency and and routine mm -hmm. because the more variables you can pin down and um change what not variable fixed i can't think of the word right now um i've had terrible brain fog <laughs> <laughs> you're doing very good today um, by the way you're doing an excellent yeah, job thanks, baby. You too. yeah thanks um so yeah the more variables you can pin down and make not variable um sure. the easier your prep's going to be and also the easier it is going to be to progress from prep to prep mm -hmm. right if you don't have a million variables then you kind of know what caused what to happen right whereas if you do have you know this variable this variable this variable and this variable that all changed too many wild cards. Yeah, you don't know. And all you can do is throw the sink at it next time and, mm -hmm. you know, hope that you got the right combination of those variables. Um, it so, is an art and a science for sure. Yes. And it's a very important to understand yourself as an athlete. I would say that through coaching, um, that's the one thing that I do reiterate to people is you're going to learn so much about yourself, what you can handle, what you can't handle, what your body likes and doesn't like. And it makes you more uh, intuitive on realizing the small things that make big differences. So that in itself can be frustrating because you're like, oh man, this like 
interruption in my routine is really going to throw me off. Mm-hmm. So, there, you know, I think we've talked about this too, like being adaptable and a little yes. bit of flexibility. But there is um, a positive in keeping um, a, a steadier routine if it's feasible for your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And um, having that intentionality through each phase. And you don't have to have the gas pedal down every single day, 365 days a year. Um, but depend, like you said, depending on your goals, that's going to measure the level of focus on specific things in your life. So, okay. I just took over your speech. I'm sorry. No, no, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) It's all very true. Um, but yeah, so I just want to thank everybody again, one more time, three, five times. I'm going to thank everybody for submitting questions, for leaving comments. If you liked the content, please leave a review on Apple podcasts. That definitely helps us out. Um, we do have a donation tab on our website at recklesstraining.com under the media tab. Yeah, Reckless Media. Um, so if you do feel inclined that you want to help support, like TC said, poor athletes <laughs> creating mm-hmm. a podcast, uh, we definitely appreciate that. Absolutely not necessarily, but we wanted to provide that outlet because we do have people asking how they can support us. Um, and you can find us on Instagram. TC is at longshotgamble. And I'm Chris Nicole underscore IFBB pro. And then we also have our um, shared Instagram reckless train, reckless underscore training. <laughs> I never get that right. Uh, reckless underscore training. So. Well, someone stole the reckless training page and then uh. didn't.